Welcome, one and all, to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast, episode 166. It is May 1st, 2022, and I am Dennis. Tony, unfortunately, last minute could not make recording the episode, so you're getting a solo episode with me. It'll probably be short, maybe sweet, maybe not, but we're going to cover pinball and video games. Before I get going, my only introduction aspect is I have finally finished the video game Strider. I finished it yesterday. Yes, I did have to use a guide at a couple of points because I had to go back to the boss section because progress did not save and my power-ups were way, way, way too low. But I was able to get through it after I muddied along. So speaking of muddying along, let's go ahead and jump right into the pinball section. And I want to start with American Pinball. So Ryan McQuaid, He is the creator of the homebrew Sonic Spinball pinball machine, which has received rave reviews from those who have played it. I did see it at Expo, I believe, but I was unable to play it. And by unable, I mean I just wasn't willing to stand in that long of a line for it. But I've heard very, very good things. Regardless, Ryan is now a designer with American Pinball. I think this is very interesting because obviously Sonic Spinball has garnered a lot of very positive reaction from the pinball community that has played it. Of course, I am a little confused just in the sense that American Pinball seems to be really kind of flush with staff, and I don't like to do analogies to Deep Root, but they seem like they have a lot of employees vis-a-vis the amount of games they output. I know that David Fix has been talking for quite a while now that American Pinball is planning to up their output production to something akin to two to three games a year. Obviously, here in 2022, we have not yet seen a new game. They are still building Legends of Valhalla, which was revealed last year. But I am looking forward to seeing them put out more games, and I am looking forward to see what Ryan can do with American Pinball. Now, the big question is, will Ryan get to do Sonic for American Pinball? And I've not seen a lot of official confirmation, and I guess by a lot, I mean I've not seen any official confirmation regarding that. However... The rumor mill is swirling that American Pinball did try to acquire the Sonic license and were unable to because, specifically, another pinball company already has it. Now, if that is true, it is very interesting information because I don't think we've really had a video game-based manufactured pinball machine since probably Roller Coaster Tycoon would be the most recent tie-in I can think of, at least in a large production scale. Of course, assumptions would be that if someone has Sonic, it would be Stern, but that's probably mostly because Stern is such a large company and they have more output than anyone else. If you're going to guess who's got a license, who would have the most licenses in their back pocket but Stern? But there's also the fact that Stern Pinball used to be Sega Pinball, and so they may still have some level of relationship with Sega, which Sonic is a Sega property. In additional American Pinball news, we have heard through the distribution network that they are making changes to their deluxe models. This impacts Hot Wheels, Oktoberfest, and Houdini in particular. They are doing a last run of each in terms of the current version of the deluxe model, but they are simplifying these deluxe models after that point in order to make the production process easier. It is not yet known whether or not there will be a price break on the new simplified deluxe versions versus what are the current deluxe models. So regarding that, we will just have to wait and see. Another interesting pinball story is regarding Dragon's Lair, the famous Laserdisc video game from the 1980s. There was a Kickstarter announced that was going to help develop a Dragon's Lair pinball, which had been in homebrew production for, I believe, several years. However, the license holder learned about this Kickstarter proposal and this plan to bring Dragon's Lair Pinball to the market, 
and issued a cease and desist or CND letter. As such, my projection is this project is dead and will not be coming back to life. However, I would say that if the Dragon's Lair homebrew person is interested in actually securing the license before pursuing the Kickstarter, I don't think there's any inherent reason that the company would not play ball with them. But at the present time, everything is dead in the water, and I personally don't expect it to move forward beyond perhaps just staying as an interesting homebrew. That's really it in terms of major pinball items. I will go ahead and go into Rumor Corner. I could have probably tossed that comment about Sonic and that it's already being held by a pinball company into the Rumor Corner, but I'll give you something different. This one is even more tenuous, though. Some of you may recall that it was reported earlier this year that Jersey Jack Pinball has an anime license and that they are considering making it into a pinball machine but have not yet committed to whether or not they want to work with it, but they went ahead and got the license anyway. Again, very, very tenuous, but I am hearing now that the rumor is the license they have is Full Metal Alchemist. Now, Full Metal Alchemist started as a manga or a, sort of a comic book version, sort of, I believe, ran from the early 2000s, like 2001 to 2010 or so. I never read it. But regarding the anime aspects, there were two anime versions made, and I have seen both of those. The first one was Full Metal Alchemist. It was 2003 to 2004. This one was sort of a loose adaptation because the manga wasn't done yet. And then there was a more faithful version that came out in 2009-2010 called Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And just as an aside, I would recommend watching either of these anime. I think they're both pretty good. Overall, I do think that Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is a better story, but... Your mileage may vary on that, but if you're more concerned about it being loyal to the manga, then you definitely want to lean towards Brotherhood. But it would be my hope that they do have Brotherhood if that's what they're thinking about doing. I think it's more memorable in the eyes of fans, and obviously people who are tied to the manga in some way might have a stronger compulsion to want to play or buy the game versus just doing the original Full Metal Alchemist movie. For people who have no idea what I'm talking about, this license would have a lot of potential. It actually would be a pretty good one, I think, for Jersey Jack to move forward with. It is a relatively famous anime, even in the United States. It's relatively violent, but not overly adult, so I do think it would have broad-based appeal. It does have certain elements that are fairly horrific, but in terms of a lot of teen-oriented anime, it does target a lot of those same sort of ideals and morals that they try and emphasize in those particular kind of show-and-jump style shows. Plus, there are some really, really good scenes out of Brotherhood that would probably make for pretty interesting modes. I do have to admit, I would be very, very interested in seeing a repeatable ramp shot mode where you have to burn lust to death as as Mustang, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just search that scene out on YouTube. It's pretty memorable. But regardless, again, very tenuous rumor, but that's what I've got for you for Rumor Corner, so I hope you're rumortained. So let's move on to video game news. And this first one's actually a good crossover because I actually first started seeing this reported from pinball streamers because I am over with the Pinball Network to do the pinball show. And we do have a number of streamers who participate under that branding. And it's been the talk all week. But of course, it's making even bigger waves with video game streamers because they make a lot of money at this. So Twitch is talking about reducing the revenue split for its partnered streamers. Now again, with Pinball, there aren't very many partnered streamers. In fact, setting aside those who are video game partners, and again, the term's loose. Once you're a partner, you can stream anything you want, just like you could at any other time. 
but there are really only three that come to mind that I know of that are primarily pinball streamers that have partner status. There's Buffalo Pinball, there's IE Pinball, which is Carl D'Angelo's stream, and there's Deadflip Pinball Streaming, which is what Jack Danger streams under. And those are the only three I'm aware of. But currently with Twitch, there are three tiers of revenue share that go on. There's a tier one, which is a 50-50 split. There's a tier two, which is 60-40, the 60% in favor of the streamer. And then tier three is 70-30, 70% in favor of the streamer. And many of the top partners on the network have their own privately negotiated revenue splits. According to reports that people are now receiving, they are going to reduce all the splits to 50-50. There is also talk that Twitch is looking at incentives to try and encourage streamers to run more ads while they are streaming. In addition, allegedly, and this is all allegedly, there is consideration by Twitch to state that partners would no longer be required to stream exclusively on Twitch, which is language that I believe is pretty unique to the Twitch platform. And I think that language might even apply to affiliate streamers, if I remember my agreement from back in the day. But regardless, it's one of those limiting barriers for people if they are live streaming on Twitch. They are not to concurrently stream at the same time on other networks. Again, all this is very much up in the air. A lot of streamers are pretty concerned because, especially partners, if they're making their living out of this, and as I noted, a lot of video game streamers do, this will really eat in to a lot of their revenue share and could potentially, if there's no other way to make up for that loss, drive them to try and stream even more in the hopes of generating more income. And one of the biggest criticisms about trying to make a living as a streamer is the sheer high volume level of streaming you have to do to continue to reward your subscribers, to continue to get them to feel like that you're worth investing in. If you go and take breaks, for example, they don't get a, there's not a way to pause their subscription. So if you stream only a little bit and then they paid for a month and you're not there very much, it feels like they wasted their money. There's a whole thing. There's a whole thing about it. So by and large, the safe thing to say about all of this in summary is pretty much no one on the streaming side is happy with the proposals. And all of this, of course, could have a pretty high dollar impact. Speaking of high dollar impact, Square Enix has released a Final Fantasy VI statue that costs $11,600. That's almost as much as toppers are. I am absolutely flabbergasted. So this statue is a 1-6 scale figurine in the Masterline series. It features Final Fantasy VI's Terra riding Magitek armor. I've not really looked at this, but Tony put this into the notes, and so I am sharing it. $11,600. I mean, my my jokes about toppers aside, when you're getting into the realm of LE pinball machines, I'm like, eh, you know what? Maybe get an interactive uh, physical pinball experience rather than a statue. But you know what? You do you. Moving to the console side of video games, Sony has blocked the ability for players to extend active PlayStation Plus subscriptions until their new PlayStation Premium launches, which is expected to happen in June. Players will be able to re-up the service once it is expired or after the new service launches, but until then, due to the work being done on the back end of the service, you cannot stack any extra time onto the subscription. Incidentally, PS Plus Premium is the Sony version of the Xbox Game Pass, and it is to launch with over 700 games going all the way back to the PlayStation 1 and PSP title lines. And to conclude our video game section, Overwatch 2. Its beta is active, and thanks to this... Overwatch has had their best day of streaming on Twitch ever. They hit over 1.5 million concurrent viewers. 
So Tony notes in the notes he sent me that the real question to him is whether Overwatch 2 is too little and far, far too late. And I assume that's in the context of saving the Overwatch franchise because Activision Blizzard is going to be just fine. Yes, Microsoft is moving forward with their acquisition, but with Call of Duty, there's always a way for them to make bank. So in my assessment of what's been going on with the beta, and I've not been playing the beta, I do have the PC version of Overwatch 1. I think Tony gifted that to me, or maybe my brother-in-law did years and years ago. I've only played it a few times because I mostly play on console, and the beta is not currently on console. So I've not played the beta, but I have watched some of the streams. And my thinking is, no, it's not too late. I do not know whether or not this yet means that the Overwatch League will see dividends paid by the interest in Overwatch 2. Overwatch League is the esports setup that Blizzard created around Overwatch. Personally, given the high volume levels we're seeing of beta engagement, I do think we will see more people watching at least the start of this season's Overwatch League, which will be playing on Overwatch 2 than we did last year. In fact, I do think that the inaugural opening show, whatever the first day is, of the Overwatch League of 2022 will be higher than any time during 2021 season. Just a guess. But here's the thing about the concurrent viewers in Twitch and Overwatch 2. Sometimes when people look at that, they go, well, there were drops. There were drops. So people watch, like they have bots watching to get the drops. And that is true. And that was true with the Overwatch League for the first couple of seasons in particular, because if you watched during the league, you, through Twitch, would earn drops that you could cash in in the game. And it was usually, it was like a currency, essentially tokens, to buy custom skins. That's sort of in play here, but the only drop is for the PC beta pass. So people are watching in order to get access to try out the player versus player Overwatch 2 beta during the beta. So the only drop of value is for people who want to play this. There's no other reason to go after a drop. So that part makes me think, okay, this isn't just trying to feed into, you're not getting emoticons for Twitch. You're not getting stuff for some other game. It's only to play Overwatch 2. That's the only drop involved. So my thought is, no, it's not too little and and too late. I thought it probably was, I mean, Overwatch 2 was supposed to come out like two or three years ago. Really, right when Overwatch 1's viewership started to decline quite a bit in terms of the Overwatch League, that's when I thought they had originally planned to try and get Overwatch 2 out, and it has just been delayed and delayed and delayed, be it the pandemic or other reasons. But given this, this record-setting level of engagement on Twitch about this game, you must understand just how big 1.5 million concurrent views are. I mean, this is this was a behemoth number. It is a behemoth number. And... That is not just in a vacuum, I I think. I think that there actually is a high level, far more than I expected, of interest. Overwatch 1 was a huge phenomenon when it came out. And it's easy for me to forget that because I actually didn't play it for a year. I got it about a year after it had come out. And I really got into it. Really liked it a lot. And I know some people that have kind of lost interest in Overwatch. And I think because of that, they have looked on Overwatch 2 and thought, nah, I don't think I'm going to be in it this time around. And that may be true for some of them. But watching the sheer number of people, the number of streams of people coming out of the woodwork who walked away from Overwatch from a professional or near professional level years ago and just seeing them having fun, I think that's doing more than anything to sell this game on people. I mean, there are people coming out of the woodwork, like like Siegel, who was briefly in the Overwatch League. Agilities, who's left the Overwatch League. They're streaming this. 
people who are making their name or trying to make their name in Valorant have come back and we're playing this beta. Now, will they stick with it? I don't know. But just the overall sheer volume of it, I do think that Overwatch 2 has the potential to be very, very big as long as they don't stumble coming out of the blocks when the actual final version is ready or purportedly ready. Let's hope it's by and large glitch-free and a good experience. And as a reminder, anyone playing Overwatch 1, that all that PvP stuff's moving over to the Overwatch 2 style. So they're going to get in on that no matter what. I think this is huge. I think this is way bigger than a lot of people expected. And I think this is what Blizzard desperately needs. So they're hoping they can hit it out of the park. And so far, I think the numbers are indicating that the audience is there for it. There's really not a substitute for the hero shooter as defined by Overwatch. Now, a lot of the discussion is actually the changes they're making because they're moving from a 6v6 setup to a 5v5. And the dynamics of the play are changing quite a bit. And maybe that's part of the interest. I know it's part of the criticism from the Overwatch 1 old guard that this is becoming more Twitch shooter, more FPS oriented, more about positioning and making your shots and less about overall team play strategy. And I have mixed feelings on that because part of the attraction of Overwatch is it doesn't play, at least Overwatch 1, doesn't play like a traditional FPS style PvP game. But on the other hand, when you don't team communicate and such and I don't usually talk to my other teammates other than who I personally have partied with going into an Overwatch game. Moving away from it having to be so reliant on team coordination for victory could make it an overall better playing experience for casuals. So while I'm a little disappointed that they're down to one tank on the teams instead of two tanks, overall, I'm looking forward to trying the different version. But anyway, that concludes this very short episode of 166 of the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. If you have any comments, you can always write into eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com or go to facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast and send us a message through that. We're also on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram at eclectic underscore gamers. We should be back in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, Tony will be back by then, and you'll get to hear his far more deep knowledge on video games than what I was able to provide you. But until then, I am Dennis. So long, everybody.